do invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's already obviously been another good day in the house of the Lord. Worship, baptisms, now we're getting into his word. I mean, I have been told that the Super Bowls today, I hadn't paid much attention. <laughs> Probably flip on the TV to check out the commercials or whatever. Later on, I hear, I hear they're pretty good. But we're not here to talk about that. Today we get to talk about everyone's favorite topic, which is giving. We've given you a theme for every chapter as we go through the book of 2 Corinthians, and giving is the theme for both chapters 8 and 9. Uh, so lucky for you, we get to talk about it for a while. And, and I say that, actually only slightly joking, uh, I make light of it because it can obviously for some reason, be sort of a sensitive topic in churches and with Christians. But, but I also say it seriously because it is one of the key indicators of, of Christian maturity or the level of Christian maturity within an individual. And I don't only mean that with respect to obedience. I, I mean it with respect to full understanding of the issue. You see, it, it's possible to be obedient and that you are a giver, but still have the wrong view of giving, or the wrong view of money, possessions, your, your time, your talent, your treasure. So I want to lay a foundation today that I think will help us through the rest of our studies through chapter 8 and 9. And in this foundational message, we are going to see the balance of joyful giving. That's the title of giving this message, and I'll explain that as we move along this morning. But there's no doubt the chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians give us the most extended and complete section of Scripture on this issue of biblical giving. And it gives us everything we need to know about how we are to view giving in a God-honoring way. You see, New Testament, God-honoring giving isn't just about tithing. In fact, the tithe is actually something you don't see in Paul's writings now, it doesn't make it invalid for us today as a, as a principle. It's, it's actually something that predates the law, and it's as good a guide as we have in Scripture when we're looking to structure our lives in this area. But as with everything in the New Testament economy, it falls under grace. And that actually means it has the potential to be used by God in an, in an amazing way in your life. So as we begin, I need you to understand that Biblical giving for the church-age believer, it doesn't just equal a tithe. Not even close, actually. It's, it's way more encompassing than that. And, and I know what you just heard right there. When I said that biblical giving is, is, is way more encompassing than a tithe, you heard that I'm, I'm going to be asking you for more than 10% of your income. And you heard that because you have a wrong view of giving. Because the truth is, I'm going to ask you for way more than 10%. And I'm not even going to ask you for a penny. Because I know that if you have God's heart on this issue of biblical giving, then listen, he'll take care of everything. It'll all fall in place. We don't have to beg you for money. All we have to do, which, which is our job, by the way, is to teach you what the Bible has to say. And so, because of that, we face, we, we address these topics unapologetically. 
because they're in the Bible. And we're just going through the Bible. We don't, we don't bring money and giving up very often just when we see it and when we come to it and what we're teaching. And that's where we're at. So we're going to cover this topic today. And we're going to be looking at the first six verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. And so let's read them and then we'll ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord, and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we do ask you to, 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 to be with us this morning. We ask you to, to lead this study this morning, and, and, and we just pray that you work in all of our hearts. We we all are at different spots in our spiritual walk, and we're all at, at uh, different spots in our walk with you. And, and Lord, there's something I know that, that we all need to learn this morning. And so I, I pray that your Holy Spirit does the work of the teacher and, and to teach us uh, what your word has to say uh, on this issue this morning so that, so that we can live our lives in a way that is honoring to you. I pray that everything that, that we say and everything that we do this morning is honoring to you. I, I pray that it's true to your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll be glorified in all of it. I pray that you use the time together to strengthen our walk with you and strengthen us together as a body. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Now, before we get into the details of the study, let me, let me give you the backdrop of what's happening here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So Paul, he's, he's changing topics. He's, you know, moreover, in addition to um, what he's talked about, now he's going to start a new topic. And he's cha- so he's changing topics in this epistle. And he starts talking about this giving project. He said that talk, he uses the term grace, and we're going to talk more about that. It is the, the grace of, of giving is what he's talking about. And he uses the term gift in here too. And he's, he's talking about this giving project that the churches of Macedonia uh, were, were involved with. And, and, and just to give you a frame of reference, not that this really matters for our study, but just so you, know, you kind of have a whole, whole picture, um, Corinth... Is the city is located in what would be modern-day Greece in the southern part of Greece. And the Macedonian churches would, would be up in what's modern-day northern, northern Greece. And so those Macedonian churches uh, were cities in, in Philippi and Thessalonica. So obviously we have those epistles to the Philippians, the Thessalonians. There's also Berea, but, but the, the books we have in our Bible are Philippians and Thessalonians. And this, this giving project that Paul is referring to is actually a missions project uh, to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. And we'll, we'll look at some verses, but there's, you know, Paul started this, there's a couple times he, he's done this. And in his third missionary journey, this was one of the main purposes of it, was to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. They were dealing with persecution, and, and in addition to that, they were dealing with great famine. And Paul was assisting them in this situation. And he knew it was what the body of Christ was supposed to do to help other other believers. But Paul also saw the Gentiles as debtors to the Jews. And and this special collection was one way to help pay that debt, so to speak. We see that in Romans chapter 15, 
Verses 25 through 28 says, Now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it has pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, that's also in Greece, a little bit north uh, of Corinth, uh, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It has pleased them verily for their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made, mar- made partakers of their spiritual things, of the, the Jews' spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come to you by you into Spain. And so the Gentiles had received the gospel from the Jews, from from the original church that started in in Jerusalem there. And so they owed them, so to speak. And so Paul was reminding the church church of Corinth, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, of this opportunity to help by using the examples of the Macedonian churches. And what we see through the Macedonian churches, is the foundation we need to really understand what biblical giving is all about. And in doing so, we're going to see that perfect balance of joyful giving. And the first aspect we see with the churches of Macedonia, and the first thing we need to understand when it comes to biblical giving, is that they had a spiritual perspective on giving, a a spiritual perspective. Now, I'm going to obviously explain that point as we go along here, but let's look again at verses 1 and 2 so you can see this. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Okay, now first of all, let me give you a quick King James English lesson. When Paul says, we do you to wit, that's just an old English way of saying, we want you to know. There's some things we want you to know, and there's some stuff Paul wanted the Corinthians to know about these Macedonian churches, And, and, and it involved their spiritual perspective on giving. And I'm telling you, this is the key, because I find that, that most Christians today, and, 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 I, and I, do, I do mean most, don't really understand how to give properly. And there are, are many of us, many of you, that are giving for wrong reasons, giving in wrong ways, or, or not giving at all. And even beyond that, many Christians just don't understand what they're actually doing through the act of giving. Let me try to illustrate this for you. I'll do it through a question. When you think about coming to church, when you got up this morning and you're getting dressed and you were getting ready and you, you know, had in mind, okay, I'm, I'm going to church, what aspects did you look forward to the most? Now, you know, don't say it out loud, but I, I want you to answer that question yourself. I mean, hopefully, many of you thought about the sermon. I mean, no, nah, it's okay, just, just, you know, just don't tell me about it today. You know, undoubtedly, Many of you thought of our time of praise and worship and and the uplifting, the encouragement you get through worshiping the Lord. You know, for some of you, it might be the fellowship, seeing other brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's always one of the great things about Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, that fellowship we have together. I love it. And all those things, by the way, are the right answers. You should look forward to all those aspects of church. I certainly do. But for the most part, those all involve things that you receive. 
How many of you look forward, just as forward, to things you can give? How many of you can't wait to drop your offering in that offering plate in the back of the auditorium? Did you know, and we'll talk about this later, but doing that, if you understand what you're actually doing, is just as big of an act of worship as singing worship songs? How many of you are just counting the minutes till you get to serve in the children's ministry? How many of you are praying you have the opportunity to encourage another brother or sister in Christ who needs it when you get here on a Sunday? You see, giving is an attribute of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. And the Macedonians understood this and they believed it. And it gave them a spiritual perspective. And what I mean by that is they understood that biblical giving always originates with the grace of God. Paul said in verse 1 that their ability to give was a grace that God bestowed on them or gave to them. And it was because they viewed life from this spiritual perspective instead of an earthly perspective. Their eyes were set and focused above, not on this earth. It's the way Paul told the Colossians to live in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. He said, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. For Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We know Matthew 6, that says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, the necessities of life that you see in the context there, shall be added unto you. I like the way the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, put it in Proverbs 15, 24. He said, The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. It's just a concept of viewing life from the basis of, of God's grace and not from anything else that is a, that is the spiritual perspective on life and and therefore on giving because when you understand what God has done for you and you view life through that lens giving of yourself is easy that gets to motive and motivation so let me ask you if you give of your time talents and treasure why why do you do it? What are the reasons or the reasoning behind your giving? The truth is, there are a lot of reasons why pe people give. Some give out of duty. Just obedience to God because that's what the Bible says. And, th and that's good. That's, that's really good. Some give for reward. They think, if I give, God will give back to me. And you know what? It's actually true. It's a biblical principle. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And we'll see this verse in a few weeks, but 2 Corinthians 9.6 says, But this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Listen, in some ways, this is pragmatism at its finest. But God always honors his word. So praise the Lord. <laughs> then there are others that, that give for maybe more selfish worldly reasons. You know, maybe, maybe people give only for a tax write-off or because they want to have a reputation for giving or whatever. And listen, those things in and of themselves aren't bad. Having for a reputation for giving is a good thing. 
Getting a tax write-off for your giving is great. I mean, take advantage of all the benefits allowed to you under, under the law. But I'm trying to get to your motive, your reason why. Because if your motive is selfish, then you don't have the right spiritual perspective. Because giving isn't about what you can get back. I mean, if you get something back, praise the Lord. But that's not why you should give. Because even Luke 6.38 and 2 Corinthians 9.6 should be balanced by Acts 20, verse 35, that says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, these Macedonians in our passage this morning, they gave because their hearts were moved by the grace of God. And really, that should be the primary motive for all of our giving. God's grace and his goodness to you, his goodness to me. Because listen, if God has not done anything for you, then for goodness sakes, do not give him a dime. Do not give him a second of your time. But if he has, then pour it all out according to the measure you've received. That's always the argument of Scripture. In the New Testament, giving is never legislated upon us. It is not laid on us as a duty that we have to do in order to gain entrance to heaven, certainly, or even acceptance with God. It's given to us, rather, as a privilege that we can partake of to express the gratitude of our hearts for the grace that God's bestowed upon us. That's the spiritual perspective. And did you see what Paul said in verse 2? They had the spiritual perspective even in the midst of the worst possible scenario. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. They didn't give in the midst of bounty. They didn't give in the midst of, of life being easy. And this gives us a couple principles related to this spiritual perspective, uh, certainly on giving. Is first, the, the spiritual perspective doesn't consider external circumstances. The Bible says the Macedonians gave while they were in a great trial of affliction. And we know from various places in the Bible that these churches certainly faced great persecution. For example, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he starts off this letter by acknowledging their situations, 1 Thessalonians 1 over 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. That ex- ex- external circumstances that they were facing that would make most people focus on themselves, but they didn't. So that was first, but, but then second, a spiritual perspective on giving also doesn't consider internal concerns. Because not only were they being persecuted from the outside, they themselves were in deep poverty. And you would think that would cause some internal concerns when it comes to giving. How can I give when I'm in deep poverty myself? Now listen, that's not hyperbolic language. They, they were truly in deep po- poverty. It was rock bottom destitution. The word describes a beggar who has absolutely nothing and no hope of getting anything. But that didn't matter because of grace. Because what we're going to see next week when we get to verse 9 is that in spite of their deep poverty, they were rich. And grace makes all of us who accept it rich. But that's for next week.
The point now is their external circumstances, their internal concerns, it didn't hinder them. It, it, it doesn't mean they weren't there. They faced them. They were in great affliction. They were facing the realities that deep poverty brings, and it didn't hinder them from participating. In fact, they gave joyfully and liberally. In verse 2, we see one of those biblical equations that makes no, absolutely no sense apart from faith. So, so let me show you a faith-based giving equation. We have it up here. Do we have a so so? You know, if you're if you know math, you got great affliction plus deep poverty. But when you multiply that by grace, somehow it equals abundant joy and riches of liberality. Right? I mean, it makes sense from that apart from faith. You know, God's quite the mathematician. But when you have a spiritual perspective, somehow it all works, and God's honored. And he's honored when you are giving, when you give away the grace that he's given to you. And again, we're, listen, I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even talking about money per se. All that takes care of itself. Because this is really the key. It is the point of grace, the grace that we receive. Because when you have a spiritual perspective on life and on everything, your goal with life is to honor him and is to glorify him. Through, through giving and not just through receiving. And yet, we somehow mess this up all the time. A selfish perspective in place of a spiritual perspective is very pervasive, particularly the Odyssea, particularly in our culture. So let me try to illustrate this for you using a biblical example. Okay, so, so sometimes we'll talk about the favor of God, all right, of God favoring us. And listen, I get it. God loves us more than we could ever imagine, certainly more than we ever deserve. And we talk about and pray for, sometimes sing about the favor of God. The only problem with that is the Bible never says that we are favored or that we should be seeking his favor. Now stay with me because the favor of God is absolutely biblical. You just have to understand its context. The word favor is found 70 times in the Bible. But only once after Acts chapter 7. And that's in Acts chapter 25. And all of all 70 references, I looked them all up. Not one of them refers to the New Testament church or a New Testament believer. Not one. So if you're seeking God's favor... I'm sorry to burst your bubble, that's not Bible. But listen, it doesn't matter. Because what we get is something better. It's what was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. Grace. God shows us grace. You see, God showed Israel favor. We get his grace. And let me tell you, our deal's better. And you might not think that's a big deal, and maybe it's not. But I point this out because it gets to our perspective on life and therefore ultimately our perspective on giving. Because when you really understand God's grace, you understand that it's not only for you. You understand that it is to be given and that you need to be a giver. That is different than favor. Favor stops with you. You can't exactly share God's favor. Go do the study. But you can share God's grace. And when our perspective is selfish instead of spiritual, then favor is really what we want. 
Whether we know it or not, or whether we articulate it that way or not, what we really are seeking is God's favor. We only want to receive and not have to give. But grace doesn't allow for that. Because ultimately, God's grace to you is so that God can get glory through you. Let me show you this through the life of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Paul says, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me, whom am less than the least of the saints, is this grace given. And why? Why was this grace given, Paul? That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And make all men to see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Do you see the beautiful picture? God gives us grace so that he will get glory as we share that grace with others. But if you're just taking his grace and you're happy with just the blessing for yourself, how does God get glory out of that? So that's just craving favor. Well, we're to share the blessing that God gives us with others. So we see in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, obviously Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, some of the primary verses we use for salvation, and we don't always read verse 10, but it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? We know that. And then verse 10, For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So, for by grace are you saved through faith. But listen, once we receive it, we're supposed to do something with it. We've been created unto good works. Which, which is evangelism, which is discipleship. It's giving out the grace that we've been received. And it gets to what our life is supposed to be about, working and giving. So that he gets glory. Let me show you another very familiar passage. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20. It says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Okay. So we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. So what should we do, both as individuals and as a church? Should we just enjoy the blessing and the favor of God? No, that verse doesn't end there, does it? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How do you do that? You do that by giving out the grace that God's given to you. We're to get to work, according to Ephesians 2.10, and glorify God. We do that by sharing and giving based on the grace he's given to us. So let me give you something to help you remember this point. It's in your outline sheet. We need to employ God's grace, not just enjoy. Of course you should enjoy God's grace. It's, man, what a wonderful thing. But we need to employ God's grace, put it to work, so that we can extend God's glory. That's when you put these verses together, what it, what it means. We need to put God's grace to work in our life by sharing and giving it away so that we can extend God's glory. And when we're doing that, we have the spiritual perspective on life and on giving that glorifies him. And he'll be honored and he'll be pleased. And listen, the truth is, if we do that, we'll be re rewarded. And again, that, 
It shouldn't be our motive, but we will be rewarded, if not this life, then most certainly in the life to come. And these Macedonian churches had that figured out. And they had a spiritual perspective on giving. But then second, they also had, and we also need, a supernatural passion for giving. They had a spiritual perspective on giving, but then they also had a supernatural passion for giving. Look back at verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 8. Paul says, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. They were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. This was something they wanted to be involved with so much that they allowed the the Lord to work through them in a supernatural type of way. Paul said this was something he personally witnessed. He said, "I, I bear record. I didn't just hear this. I bear record of this. That they were willing to give even beyond their power. So in a supernatural way, or, or maybe I should say with a supernatural willingness. Because to get to that place, God has had to have worked in your life. You don't just get there automatically. You don't just get there on your own. You don't just necessarily get there on day one of being a Christian. Because this is sacrificial giving. You see, their giving was beyond what could or would be expected of such poor Christians. In fact, their giving would be a contradiction to their condition. Now, I remind you of verse 2. They gave out of their deep poverty and a great trial of affliction. Times were difficult. Life was difficult. They had very little, were extremely poor. A contradiction to their condition when compared to the generosity and overflowing abundance of their liberality with no regard for themselves with no regard for their future needs, compelled by concern and care and love and compassion. They were glad to place themselves in a position of further dependence on God and believe that God would would provide. It's like the promise we have in Philippians 4.19, again, the Macedonian church. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And a And I like to point out that that verse doesn't say God will supply all your needs, plural. Most versions say that. King James doesn't say that. It says need, singular. You can do that with that what you want. But they believed it. And they believed what Jesus said in Matthew 6 is exactly what he meant. That if he clothed the grass of the field and the lilies of the field and feeds the fowls of the air, that he'd take care of them. And it was in that attitude that he gave like the widow in Mark 12, generously and sacrificially. In Mark 12, verses 41 through 44, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. And listen, this is really what giving is about, because at the end of the day, it doesn't have anything to do with amounts. It doesn't have anything to do with percentages. It has everything to do with your heart. What do you love? Where does your passion And your compassion reside. 
And the heart of these Macedonians, in, the, in their heart, they were willing, even beyond their own power. And it reminds me of when David, he went to buy a threshing floor to build an altar on, and, and the guy he was going to buy it from wanted to give it to him, right? Because he was the king. This was David. And in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, we read, And the king said unto Arana, Nay, the king David said unto Arana, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God, which doth not cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. So just like David, the Macedonians were not about to give God something that didn't represent sacrifice. Because they were, they were glad to place themselves in deeper dependence on God by, by demonstrating generosity to the poor saints at Jerusalem, who, you know, likely they had never even met, but for whom they had a heart of compassion. They had a supernatural passion to minister to others in need. In fact, in, in verse 4, they had to beg Paul to take their gift. He knew their situation. He knew how bad it was. So he didn't even really want to take it from them. But the Bible says they prayed or begged with much, in, much entreaty. It means to implore. And the reason why is because they, they had that supernatural passion for others. They wanted to minister to the saints and be in fellowship with everyone else who was doing it. They counted it as a privilege. And listen, they're an example not only to the Christians but to us. We should be growing to the point of trusting the Lord at this, this supernatural type of level. And listen, I get it. And some of you are thinking, you must be out of your mind. <laughs> this is stupid. And I promise you, I'm not out of my mind. I might be stupid. That's to be determined. But I was trying to give you what the Bible has to say on this topic. And I know that we're all in different places. In our personal walks with God, we're all at various levels of spiritual maturity. And this is a process to get to this Macedonian level type of giving. And we'll talk about that in a minute. It takes growth. And certainly, the culture is different. Times are different. The challenges for believers are different. And nobody, certainly, I am not asking you, nobody here is asking you to sell your house and to give all your savings to the Lord. Nobody is asking you to go broke. Because, listen, it's not about any of that. It's not about money. It's not about percentages, like I said. It's not about any of that. God doesn't care about that. He owns it all anyway. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. Nope. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. Listen to verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. But what he wants you to see is that it's not yours. And this goes back to perspective. So it's not that you take 10% and give it to the Lord, and the 90% remains yours to do with what you want. Okay, that's, that's, that's not it. It's not biblical giving. It's not about amounts. It's not about percentages, except that 100% belongs to God. The true biblical attitude is it's all yours, Lord. You do what you want with it. 
And that brings us to our last principle of biblical giving that we learn from, from the Macedonian churches. And that is they had a selfless priority in giving because they gave of themselves first. And again, really, this, this, is, this, is, what this is all about. It's, it's kind of saying the same thing over and over. But look back at 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5. And this they did, not as we hoped or expected, but first gave their own selves to the Lord, and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. So in other words, it, it was total dedication. Some people are willing to only give an offering. They gave themselves. And listen, when, we, when, when they gave their own selves, that was everything. And they gave it first. First meaning not first in time, but first in priority. That's why this point is a selfless priority. They were willing to give themselves away. In other places in the New Testament, the word first is translated as leading. So their first priority, first priority the leading issue, was they gave themselves to the Lord. And listen, that is the supreme act of worship, isn't it? It is the supreme act of worship when you give yourselves away. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And this gets to the real definition of worship. We mentioned that earlier. Because we worship on Sundays. And, and God is pleased with that. We worship when we sing and we praise Him. And, and God is pleased with that. But we worship most, and most importantly, when we give ourselves as the offering. When we offer ourselves all that we are, all that we have and ever hope to be unconditionally and unreservedly to him. That's presenting your body as a living sacrifice. In other words, we're to lay ourselves on the altar and say, God, I give it all up. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I hope for. It's a picture we see in Genesis 22 when Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac. Where not coincidentally, we get the first mention of the word worship in the Bible. Listen, this is true worship because once you give yourself as a sacrifice and all that you are as a sacrifice, everything else follows. When you say, I am yours, Lord, I'm all yours, I'm completely yours, everything I possess is yours, so that's true worship. And you know it's worship when it comes with a sacrifice. But I'll just be honest with you, because here's my problem. And, and I don't know about you. I suspect some of you are in the same boat as me. But I find in my life that it's not a one-time deal. It seems like I no sooner put myself on the altar before I decide to crawl back off again. And if you're like me, we do that because we probably struggle with verse 2 of Romans 12. Because you can't give yourself to the Lord for, first and be conformed to this world. 
You can't be sucked up in the materialistic realm and do this. You can't be consumed by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and do this. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to think in another worldly way, or you think you have to think in a heavenly way. You have to have your mind, you have to have the mind of Christ. You have to set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. You have to have that spiritual perspective. But when you do, you know what you're able to do? You're able to prove with your life what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God through the total sacrifice of yourself. Listen, according to 1 Peter 2, we're a royal priesthood, right? Offering up holy sacrifices, the first of which is ourselves and all that we have. And like I said, this is a process. It didn't happen overnight. That's why Paul told the Corinthians in verse 6 that Titus was going to remind them to keep giving. You see, this was something they had started over a year earlier. We'll see that when we get to chapter 9. But for some reason, they tapered off. And so he's bringing it back to their, rem- their, their remembrance. To say, hey, look, look at these Macedonians. You guys started this a year ago. You even encouraged them to get started. And now they've surpassed you. You know, they'd crawled off that altar. And Paul was telling them it was time to get back on. It was time to be selfless instead of selfish. It's time you give yourself to the Lord to finish what you started. And that's really the point Jesus was making in, 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 in Matthew 22, and you might remember the story when he was asked to respond about whether people should pay taxes or not, right? You remember that? It's, it's actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but in, in Matthew 22 account, he says this starting in verse 19, show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. He saith unto them, whose image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. And saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. That's a cool story. It shows how smart and awesome Jesus is, of course. Like I, I blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you know, he just has the answer. He's, I mean, he was God, so he's got that going for him. But, but I want you to pay attention to the words he used. Because he asked whose image was on the penny. And of course it was Caesar's. Which led him to say, render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Because whosoever's image it bears, that's who it belongs to. And Christian, let me ask you, as a son of God, do you know whose image you bear? Romans 8, verses 28 and 29 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And Colossians 3, 10 says, And have put on the new man, speaking of a Christian, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So I say, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And unto God, the things that are God's. And if you're a Christian, you belong to him. You've been bought with a price. You're born in his image. So give your whole self, your whole life to him in a selfless priority. That's what he wants. And that's really all that matters. 
Because like I've said time and time again, when he has all of you, everything else takes care of itself. And while it may seem counterintuitive, you will experience the same abundance of joy that the Macedonians experienced. I told you in the introduction that the, the title of this message is The Balance of Joyful Giving. And I'd, I'd explain to you, I'd explain that to you as we went along, and, and I kind of haven't explained it yet. But, but the example we saw from the churches of Macedonia gives us that balance because they give us the right upward view of God, the right outward view of others, and the right inward view of ourselves. Right? So it's the perfect balance. We always use that, uh, you know, upward, outward, inward. And so we see that we gives us the right upward view of God, the right outward view of others, the right inward view of ourselves. Because the spiritual perspective is the right view of God. His grace should be our sole motivation for how we view life in a giving way. The supernatural passion is the right view of others to participate in ministry and, and helping others and giving out the grace that we've been given to someone else who needs it. And again, I'm not just talking about financial needs. And then the selfless priority is the right view of ourselves. We're to be selfless. We're to provide our bodies a living sacrifice. We're to give all of ourselves to the one who bought us with his blood and to the one whose image we bear. And when all of those are practiced together, the result will be true joy. To me, the most incredible statement of this entire passage, they had abundance of joy in spite of their trials and their deep poverty. But that's what joy is. When you're living in balance of, of, of where God has you and you're right in the middle of his will. You know, we use the silly acronym, right, for joy. Jesus, others, you. You know, in, in relation to how we can have joy. That's what we just looked at. It's the right view of Jesus. It's the right view of others. It's the right view of you. And what's sad is that some of the richest people in the world are some of the same people who have no joy in their life. Because it only comes through truly giving your life to the joy giver. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy. As you walk in Him, as you give your life to Him, as you lay down on that altar, and God gives you back so much more. Things that can't even, can't even be counted. You lack joy this morning? You lack peace this morning? You lack security this morning? Give your life to Him. Because if you haven't, can I ask you that question? If you don't, if you are missing those things, have you given your life to him? Do you know him as your personal savior? Has there ever been a time in your life that you've trusted in the finished work of Jesus to pay for your sins and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and put your faith in that? Because if you have, if you, if you haven't, then his grace that's available to all isn't active in your life. And, and if that's you, you need to get saved today so you can start living this life of joy. But maybe you've done that. Maybe you're saved. You just haven't laid your life down on that altar. And you are still the priority. And your perspective of life revolves around that, you and your desires and your will. 
Listen, you'll never have real joy living life that way. I mean, you can, you can get temporary happiness through the things that this world has to offer, but not true joy. God wants all of you today. Listen, not just your wallet. It's not what biblical giving is about. He wants your life. Will you give it to him today? I'm going to pray. The praise team is going to come back up for one final song. But, and, and that's your time to commune with the Lord. If there's something you need to get right with him today, man, will you do it today? Uh, you know, If not now, then when? When? You know, wait till next week? Why? Get right with the Lord today. Give yourself fully to him today.